friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined again tonight by my friends and returning co-host duo, Mike Cloud and Kevin Weinman. How's it going? Hi, Griffey. What's up, guys? All right, so as you know, we are knee-deep in the pod calls a carpenter month. Uh, we needed an infusion of the most fun, badass filmmaker of all time for this month. So, of course, we chose John Carpenter. And Mike, who was my roommate in college, Kevin, also my roommate in college, I have heard Cloud talk about this as one of his all-time favorite horror movies for 15-plus years now. Yeah. And I knew the moment he heard we were doing Carpenter, <laughs> I started getting I started- the text, we got to do Mouth of Madness. And I was like, all right. We'll do Mouth of Madness. So uh, we invited them back today. Guys, before we get going here, if you could take a second and please leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. That does help to show out enormously. For those of you that have been doing it, we appreciate that a lot. You can see our faces uh, and hear our voices on our YouTube channel. That's Nerd Alchemist, plural with an S at the end. You can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. With your ideas for movies we should cover, themes, suggestions, months, guests, anything you want to hear about, uh, let us know. Also, we're on all the social media you're on. Give us a shout out. Invite your friends. Uh, We appreciate it, guys. All right, so back to John Carpenter. It's time to dive into the Mouth of Madness. Uh, I have always loved this movie. I would argue it is the shining gem, not necessarily the only good movie but the only really good movie john carpenter made in the 90s cloud why was this movie something that has always animated you since the very first day i met you well like you said like i am super excited that we are finally doing (laughs) ready to talk about the movie uh I, i remember seeing this uh i grabbing it off of the the video store shelf as a vhs and taking it home and watching it It's one of the great covers, by the way, right? It's like a book opened up with screaming faces. Yeah, yeah, it definitely draws your attention. Yeah, for our generation, it reminds you of, like, what we thought Goosebumps were going (laughs) to (laughs) be. I I remember finishing watching that movie, and I knew even then that this movie was something special. Like, this was something unique. Not seen anything like it. Like, as I watch it, like, as the years go on, and I get more and more and more out of it as I... Uh, get a kind of a better understanding that this yeah. is uh, just such uh, not just imaginative, but it actually it, it's a, one of those horror movies that really makes you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also is one of those movies that if somebody asks you to describe what is this about, you can't tell them. And I love movies. <laughs> As you age, eventually you'll be like, ah, now I finally understand the point of view of the uh, naked man handcuffed to his wife behind the desk. Yeah. This movie will always <laughs> right. have something for you. Uh, I think I, like Kevin, came to this movie later. I, If I'm not mistaken, Cloud, you actually showed this to me for the first time. That's very possible. Uh, after a night out on the town, you're like, oh, I know what we're watching tonight. And you put yeah. this on. So I don't think I saw this until college. It was one of those that slipped through my, uh, my net. Kevin told us he had just seen it for the first time right now to be on this pod. So, Kevin, uh, at your age now, not as a child, uh, – not even as a necessary uh, horror movie aficionado and lover. What did you think, man? What were your thoughts on this movie? Um, <laughs> so, That's always a good start. That's yeah. an initial first response when those credits roll is, um. <laughs> uh, when I had the movie on, uh, Jen definitely did ask what was uh, going on. And then today, after we had watched the movie and I had told her what was going on, uh, we went on a walk today and she goes, so still, what what happened? And I was like, I, I don't know. Like, so <laughs> let, let, me, let me say this. Like, anytime that you have a John Carpenter movie and there's uh, monsters, that's a win. So I was really excited to see those guys. Uh, there was a juicy door at one point. That was really cool. Um, oh, yeah. I, think that, I, I think that the concept that the... That, here's here's the part that i'll leave you guys with in terms of like why i i I was entertained i loved the idea of like a guy that writes books that are so popular that it overtakes the bible in terms of the amount of people that are curious about it uh inspired by all this other stuff it's 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 a great way to kind of create a backdoor for you know the devil and hell to 
kind of take over Earth, which is what I gathered from it. This was kind of like a way for, for kind of hell on Earth to happen. So um, I, I walked away entertained, uh, but in the same way that if I saw like a tiger mauling a gazelle, I'm entertained. Like I, I, I see it and it's that like, works eh, every time. That works like, every that's, time. <laughs> that's super unfortunate, and I'm, I, but I can't take my eyes off of it. It was certainly <laughs> That, God damn it, if only we had our DeLorean from our Back to the Future series. That should have been on the fucking poster for Mouth of Madness. Like a tiger eating a gazelle. <laughs> unfortunate, but can't stop watching. You won't be able to stop watching this movie. That's fucking marketing 101 right there. And then well, actually um, it kind of gets to the heart of the movie. You can't stop watching it. You literally can't. And this, the movie also asks, what if you don't even watch or read these kind of things, but they know you exist? You know what yep. I mean? What what I like about I'm I'm with you, Cloud. This movie is kind of classically fun horror movie, right? So take a, a stuck up, you know, kind of your douchiest uncle thinks he knows everything. He's got the world figured out, right? The little man who doesn't know how little he is in the grand scheme of the universe, and then show him the fucking you know, the black carry on abyss or whatever they say later in the movie, like have him stare into the infinite possibilities of what's out there and how fucking truly terrifying it is and yeah. how much these things that, that he's built his whole life on, right? The man who can suss out the truth. He knows the truth. He knows who he is. No one pulls his strings. And when you cut his fucking strings, how fucking truly scary that can be for all of us. And I, I love taking the man of certain, like, right, I have an uncle who's, like, the exact same way, like, you know, well, you invested in this and do this, and this is how you become a good blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, do you even know, dude? Do you even know about the lesser keys, Uncle Terry? Like, come on, dude, there's a whole world that we don't see. And he's just like, what are you talking about? Let's go golf. And I'm like, oh, all right. And so, <laughs> so I like the idea of that guy being stuck in this Lovecraftian world, right, and confronting that. And the way they start the movie has been something that always kind of bothered me. I, I've never understood why start at the asylum first. But they don't start at the asylum. But but they, but hold on, they do though, the right? Well, they start in the book factory, okay. But like, we're not well, gleaning a think, lot of narrative from that, are we? I, th no, I think that's actually an important point. Wait, are you saying the book glue did it? I'm confused. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I think that that's kind of the way this, knowing how the movie ends, that the audience is a part of this story that the beginning of the book getting made is you getting drawn into this world. Like right. you, the, the, the book has already infected you as the audience. And this is just right. the, the beginning is just the book getting made. Um, and no, I, I, and as far as like starting off the asylum, I love every, any, like I, a lot of my favorite movies start off like in the middle, like you see that see is something that's always point. somewhat bothered me. Right. Cause like a great example of this is the TV show Hannibal. Right. Beautifully shot. Really interesting show. They started season two showing us two characters fighting with knives. And I was like, well, fuck. And then they do 12 episodes of like, will he or will he not figure it out? And you're like, yeah, I know he does because they're fighting with knives. Right. <laughs> and so this one. But I, I think I, I do agree with you on this, that this one is different. Right. What I do like about it is it. The, I, I've always held that I think the scariest thing that I've ever seen in any movie are like asylums, right? Mental health asylums. Because the thought of, and I think he even says it, right? They say it in the movie is that you'll be the last one. You'll cry out that you know the truth and no one will listen to you. Yeah. I think that that always scares me in movies. The, the loss of, I'm the only one who knows this true is true, right? And knows what's happening. But how the fuck do you prove it? When everyone looks at you like you're a fucking crazy person. Right. So I don't know. That always works on me. What did you think, Kevin, about starting in the asylum? Uh, well, I mean, little no fact, but the room in the asylum is room number nine and the room in the hotel is room number nine. Uh, so not the awesome. There you go. Well, yeah. see, but this uh, is the uh, thing, though, right, is that the people that are truly insane and believe what they're saying, that... That is the scary thing about this, right? Is that Sam Neill presents as this normal guy that we should trust, right? He kind of always has that demeanor. Uh, he was like a master of playing the dickhead who knows what he his job is very well. Whether that's yeah. Dr. Grant or, you know, the guy who invents Event Horizon, whatever. But even Sam Neill, who we are trained as an audience to find as a source of trusted information, 
is now just the guy drawing on himself with crayon. Uh, starting at the asylum, I thought was uh, good for the movie just because of the fact that, like, to see the juxtaposition of the guy drawing on the walls with the crayon to this straight-laced insurance. Was he an insurance guy? Was that he was, he was an insurance oh. fraud detective? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So so yeah, like um, I I I dug it because I'm like I I do like that we need to go and take it pretty far and you see what the end result's going to be. And, and, and the payoff is they went further. There, that mm-hmm. wasn't just the end of it. It went further than that. Um, the, the, I will only bring up one thing, though, and I, and I definitely want to get your guys, continue with your guys' opinion of this, but I was really impressed with how uh, long he was, or how, how far he took that black crayon. Um, that was a lot of drawing. <laughs> yeah, but one on great time. I thought about that too. I was like, "Wow, you drew a lot. You only been in here probably for a couple hours at most." Yeah. Like yeah. I said, we brought him in tonight. Yeah, it lets you know that maybe like... even the guy at the desk is crazy because he thought that was yeah. one crayon. Okay. <laughs> so, well, so I'm like, you could draw on like, your fucking Jesus, skin with big that? black okay. crayon, right? Yeah. But well, like, uh, I, I honestly that that probably has become the most iconic moment in the movie is that room. What I love about that, too, is that you get that early on and it becomes iconic of a man who's afraid and hiding behind this this larger than life, you know, religious figure that we've come to accept. What's really fun is as you start watching, you're like, oh, he doesn't fucking believe in God. Right. Like and he's seen some shit by the time he gets thrown in that cell. So it's almost this guy mocking everything, right? Like either I, I couldn't tell if I thought that him drawing the crosses was mocking the idea that he should have something to protect him and not, or just like throwing a hail Mary, like fuck if that shit's real. I hope this is hell Mary. <laughs> I figured hell Mary personally. Well, I figured right? it because of the, the black spire church where he sees the upside down cross and the demons coming out of there that he figures like the only antithesis to that is to draw the right upside cross to keep those demons. Yeah. From- and it worked. But that that one's so strange, though, right? Because so they make this giant black church in the middle of this town, and the only thing they keep is the uh, the mosaic of Jesus battling back the spawns. And then we cut into like his writer's study, which is essentially a giant womb inside of this church with this bulging fucking gooey door. To me, that is just the church is what births all of this evil. So to me, it that that is just an absolute discrediting of all this stuff we believed right that we are the old ones we are the ancient ones right that's very lovecraftian that you built all these stories to keep you safe but we're fucking we're coming through that we're gonna break like that's one of the coolest parts later when sam neil's in the asylum when he's like you know you have maybe 10 years and then we'll just be their their bedtime stories that line really got me like oh my fucking god dude like I, I think starting off on this one, we we had talked before about it. How you uh, this is actually part of like the apocalypse trilogy, and I think to even begin to understand the different parts and nuances of this movie, you kind of have to understand how the trilogy built up to this, where the thing was meant to uh, destroy the identity of one's self, and the Prince of Darkness is meant to destroy the order of a supreme being and those ideas. And so once those two things are gone then reality is the next thing to go. And that's where this movie kind of delves into. And, and you, like you said, like, uh, who knows what is real at that point? Like, everybody in that silent when he goes, I'm not crazy, and everybody else yells, I'm not yes. crazy. I'm not crazy. Like, they all oh, that scene is so good. Story. They <laughs> all are sure what they are thinking is sane. And really, then that actually makes you question, and everybody always has a question, like, especially if you're one of those people that thinks I'm the only sane person in an insane world, are you? Yeah. And we are trained to believe that Sam Neill is going to be sane. Yeah. But to what Kevin's point, maybe he never was, right? So maybe that's a built-in trick they play on us right from the start. Right. Yeah, that's actually an interesting thought, like whether this whole thing is like just a hallucination from inside his, his cell when they have the same numbers. I had never noticed that. I mean, I think the ending maybe speaks to that. I don't know. I, I've never been a proponent of movies that tell me the whole journey I was on didn't happen. Yeah. Right? Because I'm it, like, well, what's the... This one I would give the pass because when you're doing it with someone who's going through what he is, now you're saying that it did happen for him. So in Sam Neill's mind, he was on this journey whether we believe it or not. 
Right. Right, because so one of the yeah, weird point whatever. parts of the movie is we see him fighting and struggling when he's brought in. The very next time we see him, he's saying, I think I'll stay. It's safer in here, right? Yeah, right. So is that because Sam Neill is afraid to come out and confront the fact that, you know, he's full of shit? Who knows? Yeah. But that's what that's great about this movie is that you don't know what's real. You don't, in the end, yeah. really know what happened. And that's kind of the point. Right. Is this deep? has a lot of time yeah. leap and stuff like that. Because, I mean, in a way, he is Sutter Kane when we meet him in that asylum, right? Mm -hmm. He is there spinning his own stories that are supposed to then affect. Like, at the end, when we see the investigator, when we cut back after everything's said and done, that investigator is shook. Yeah. You know? <laughs> The ooze yeah, scientist I, I, from Ninja I, Turtles 2 is just like, oh boy, I'm going out of here. <laughs> yeah, like the other scientist who you are conditioned to believe that every he yes. knows everything. That guy always knows what's up in every yeah. movie. That guy knows how to take down some <laughs> mutant wolves and turtles. All this. Well, what do you think, Kevin, with where we're heading? What do you, what do you think about Sam Neill as Sutter Kane stuck in the room? Uh, I mean, I... I Carpenter never struck me as the guy that didn't want to take you on the full journey. I think the nine and the nine was I just, agree. I, I think it was just a wink. Um, or uh, Sutter Kane he, writing it. Wink, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I really thought that, um, when, when the weird reach, and I didn't want to say it was a reach, but like there was that moment when he actually started cutting up all of the books to go and actually create the map that takes him to where he needs to go. And I'm not saying like Sam Neill wasn't a smart enough guy. Am I supposed to believe at that point that he's getting a little bit possessed uh, or, or drawn into the story or that there's a supernatural force drawing him to that? Or we're just supposed to believe that he really did see these three dots, these dots on the pages. Mm -hmm. That was, that was a uh, really interesting where he's like, look, it's Vermont or wherever well, the hell I'm well, going. I had the weird thing as a guy who collects books. My initial reaction was <gasps> the vipers. Like I was so like every time you ripped a cover off a book i was like ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but they uh but they did have like the red lines through all of them that's what he was like cutting out and outlining yeah see right. my point to kevin's point what i thought is that sutter kane is the guy as we would know him in our world right that he has super fucking fans that know like if like harry potter right is a wildly popular book series in our world uh, you can go on the forum and, like, people blow my mind regularly because they're going through line by line. Why this? Why this? Like, someone – I read one the other day, and they're like, uh, how did Hagrid's dad possibly impregnate his giant mother? And I was like, what? Pfft. My head exploded. I was like, holy <laughs> shit, how did they leave that out of the books? Like, we need – and, like, that – but that's what I mean. So these fans have combed through every line of this guy's work, especially a guy – who, as we find out, has been like people are affected by this work, right? Yeah, uh, radically changed. I find it hard to believe that Sam Neill's the first one who was like, "Huh, every one of these books I love and have read fifty times have these weird red lines on them." Yeah, and never thought that before. Yeah, so nobody it felt like something for his eyes only to me. Yeah, too. yeah, that is probably I would call a plot hole or. It's not a plot. This movie can't have plot holes because right. Senator Kane can don't do know whatever what the fuck like. he wants. <laughs> or, or just like to the fact that this is all in Sam Neill's head. But yeah. Um, See, I am with Kevin on that is that I think John Carpenter likes the nitty gritty of reality. So for me, this movie plays as Sam Neill taking or Sam Neill as a John Carpenter kind of hateable, gruff everyman, right? Which is John Carpenter's like best character. And putting him in this fucking place, he, it's almost like Lebowski, right? You take this guy and put him in this wild series of events where he's like, what the fuck, man? This time it's just like your angriest uncle. And so I, I agree with Kevin. I feel like all of this had to happen to Sam Neill on some point. Now, whether or not he's real or not, I don't know, right? That's probably my favorite line in the movie was when they see uh, Vigo the Carpathian in the bar. And he's, uh, uh, you know, he's like, I can't remember which came first, the books or us. And he's, you know, kind of going nuts. He's like, my five-year-old daughter bit me. Like, this sucks. Like, this, is this real life? I almost want to believe it's books. Like, you see this guy just having a breakdown, and he fucking just shoots himself, right? And he's like, this is how I was written. Right. I can't help it. This is how he wrote right? me. 
But you know what's scary about that scene is so many people in our world right now believe in a higher power that is all-knowing and has our destinies charted out for us. Yeah. That fucking guy exists in a non-Lovecraft Stephen King book alternate dimension. Those people are among us right now. Yeah, well... And it just struck me as so sad and tragic in that moment. I mean, yeah, that's kind of the weird thing watching this and, like, applying it to today's world, like, now. Like, you definitely see a lot of similarities, like... It, there's a part of me that also kind of deconstructs this and wonders if like these books are just bringing out the worst in people when they read them and then they kind of manifest in these demon-like forms but that's just kind of just a physical manifestation of what's actually already inside them like the yeah. the is beating up well, the hobo I think, and the I kids think this movie animals. has gotten better as our times like this movie feels more prescient now in the day yeah. we live in oh definitely than before where I think we see the like when I one of the motifs of the movie that I had kind of forgotten about was how throughout the entire movie we have newscast in the background the epidemic of Sutter Kane and violence yeah. and bad you know is he a mad prophet or just unleashing something in us so that and, newscast I, I was like if you really closed your eyes and thought about it that could sound exactly like every news channel we have today it, in 2020. And what's even closer to that is you have all this stuff going on in the background of those news stories and nobody gives a shit. Like, like, well, on, but on, how, but this is the thing though. This is why things like Sutter Kane gain power is because if like, I don't know, I know Kevin and you and me, we're all like pretty into politics and we stay on it. But like for me, I don't talk about it on social media anymore as a rule because it becomes this fucking all consuming infection. Yeah. And you're not helping. I know, Cloud, you like to fucking fight the fight with fucking people's uncles and shit. But it's like you never <laughs> change a mind. It doesn't. So when I read this stuff all day, you get fucking beaten down. And the apathy yeah. that reality shoves into your heart. All I want to do is escape to my fantasy worlds. So I do. And I'm a guy who loves horror. So I want to go to Hellraiser where, oh, there's a man who he went too far. You know, he couldn't just enjoy normal orgasms. Now he's got to find the puzzle box and get, you know, his dick skin ripped off by a chain. Like, that's a moral and a parable where I can apply it to my normal life, which is somehow easy and more comfortable than learning lessons from the news. So, Kevin, I don't don't know what you think, Kevin, but I feel like this movie has really grown with the times, which I think is hard for a lot of horror movies. Yeah, especially because of the fact that, like, I think when this was – created that i i wonder whether or not john like you know the internet wasn't even a thing back then so the mm-hmm. avenues of of destruction were effectively movies and books and it's like to think that we've added the ultimate avenue of destruction yeah. in the internet and mm-hmm. uh that wasn't even introduced as a scary yeah. part of this is well now sutter kane would just be writing gifts and memes right. <laughs> <laughs> memes and gifts he would just have crispy memes that would destroy our society. <laughs> he he would he would create a TikTok that everyone in the world would have to do, and then all of a sudden we turn into demons. Like that's how he actually gets it. When one million fifteen-year-olds do the Sutter Kane dance, the portal <laughs> is unleashed. I really, really though uh, started falling in love with uh, just the town. I thought the town was just so, like it was just such a a cluster of any shit can happen. So as soon as that car goes into the tunnel and he's like oh you mm-hmm. found it i was like uh, i i was excited then because i knew that i so am i supposed to be under the um idea that sutter kane dropped some knowledge on sam neil then they drove out to this place because he was drawing sam neil in to be able to go and push his message out to people yes. through the book is that it okay yeah well this, this the only caveat to what you're asking is we are as an audience supposed to ask ourselves if sam neil is a written creation Got of it. sutter king because the movie kind of has a two-fold invasion plan right is cool. sam neil just a guy who is co-opted right a guy who thinks he knows everything but really is small and insignificant is co-opted by this author to then come get his book and inseminate the world with evil, right? Or is he something written, sent out upon us, right? So he's all, Sam Neill is the first phase of the infection, and that's why the agent attacks him. So that's a question you have to ask yourself when you watch the movie. Did Sutter Kane write Sam Neill into existence? On one level, 
either way you choose to think about it, yes, because he he made Sam Neill the carrier. But was Sam Neill did Sam Neill have like forty five years on Earth before that? Right? Like that's the question I always in this movie I don't know that I ever settle. I like the idea that Sam Neill is just the little man who gets co opted into something bigger rather than he is from the pages. Uh, no, I, I I felt like guy drawn in. He was chosen. I felt like yeah. he even mentioned that he was chosen. I feel like so at the end, right, there's that one poster he, like, tries to pull at, like, three times in his imagination when he sees the police brutality alley. Sure. And when he finally pulls it, his cartoon face on a Sutter Kane book is underneath yeah. the Hobbs Inn poster, but it's a Mouth of Madness poster, which comes after. Right. So that, that felt like maybe it was happening in his mind. I don't know. What do you? What's or your the, take on that, Cloud? Or that was just Sutter Kane, like implanting his influence on him. I tried to like watch it to see if there was like anything that would indicate uh, that Sam Neill had a previous life, and they do a good job of not having that. Nothing. Like, there, there's no photos. He also so- has an apartment that feels way shittier than a guy like him should. Yeah. One thing about him that feels very unreal. Because I was like, he has a never-ending supply of cigarettes and matches. <laughs> I watched that. And I was like, where's he getting all these fucking cigarettes? I think that's <laughs> Until like, the asylum. Then he has to ask for a cigarette. That's when he's real. <laughs> that's an interesting thing to take a look at. Because he oh, every scene he has a fucking cigarette in a match, but I never see a match box. And I was like, where's he getting all... Because the one <laughs> that really got me was when he was in the confessional booth after his car crash. In that confessional booth, I'm like, at this point, it feels like nothing I'm seeing is real. But yet, he still, like, had a car crash, was dragged there by, like, monsters. I'm assuming some of those monsters probably smoke and, you know, pickpocket his body. <laughs> but somehow, he's like, cigarette, match. And he lights it on the, the screw head that was screwed up. Why is that screw head not all the way down in an unreal place? Specifically so that he can light that match, right? This is where my conspiracy mind is running amok. I was like, the cigarettes are the give that he he is like a classic American machismo guy who needs his cigarettes. Well, that's it's actually (laughs) interesting thought there, because if you think like how something is written, you wouldn't say every time pulls out the matchbook, opens up the match, lights the match. You just say lights a cigarette. Yes. As a as a guy who writes horror movies, the cigarette is a go to. If you don't have a lot going on, that's something really fun to give an actor to do. It's like something they can play with and have personality with. Uh, people don't like it as much anymore, right? But still. Yeah. But yeah, that that like really struck me where I was like, what the fuck is with these cigarettes this time? Because that is like other like little minor details in this movie. Like I still haven't quite pieced out yet, but it doesn't seem like anything is done by accident. Um, okay, well here, let me add this piece of evidence and I'll see what Kevin thinks of this. I think it matters a lot that styles is the one who finds the town that's one that always Styles sees the kid sees an older version of him hits the old person with the car and then is riding on the clouds crossing the bridge and then sam neil wakes up right right so i was like it's not sam neil that finds it right he brings styles the map to then go with him right and styles is the one later who's written out it feels like because she is the part of the real world that doesn't fit the narrative. She is the addition. She has read to the end, as she says. So that kind of made me feel like maybe Sam Neill um, is just a character in this story for a moment. What do you think on that, Kevin? Uh, I So the Styles character just in general is just a kind of a... Uh, when she admitted to him that everything was a stunt up until a point, yeah, it was kind of interesting that so she was caught off so much, caught off guard so much, and she was the first to accept. You know, things are really fucked up, and I, I kind of like the idea, man, that she's like she doesn't fit uh, in that. That, but um, am I supposed to believe though that he doesn't find the place without her? Yeah, that see, that's what I'm wondering because it feels like because okay. he's driving for how long? And the only thing we see him do is like, I could probably get in her pants by doing this peewee's bike horn move that he does. Like, that's a weird classic Sam Neill's not a likable man move. And you're like, why is that happening? And then he's like, never hit to drive her with chips. I'll hate it. I don't like it. Right? Crocky. 
Whatever. And I was like, oh, so he's not doing jack shit. But then Styles is. And then he kind of takes the Styles crown when he comes back to the real world. Now he is the one who's out of place. We're like, he's yelling at that lady like, I've been there. There's stores. There's people. And he goes all Karen, right? Let me see your supervisor. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Now he's become Styles in an alien world. <laughs> uh, d- you know what? Like, I thought it was so dumb. Like, this is such a standard horror movie uh, thing that I can't stand. But when Styles just decides to go rogue and go straight to the haunted church by herself <laughs> to go and like, I'm like out of like, if, you could have the rock in that moment. And I still wouldn't believe that he'd want to yeah. do it by himself. But she yeah. just she goes all rogue and decides to go and meet up with him herself because uh, she she knows him, apparently. And I, I, of course, when she walked in, I was like, well, that's the end of her character. Like, you're, that, <laughs> you're gone. Like, and, and she you saw the juicy door and then you saw the guy growing out of the back of his head. Like uh, I, which my, what am I supposed to take from that? We, she meets Sutter. He's obviously just as creepy as we would expect him to be. You know, Jurgen Pronchow from beer fest. He's just as creepy as you'd expect him to be. <laughs> but That's his second feels, credit. <laughs> yeah. But, but like, so, so is, has Sutter Kane always been a demonic being or was it because of the fact that his writing that he eventually became this uh, carrier and yeah. got demonized. Is that what I'm uh, so so? Is, no, he, he's Quato. He, he's Quato, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, Quato I, I think Quato. the Sutter Kane is the facade in this world, right? That's how they know him, the writer with the turtleneck and the fucking nice locks and all that. I think what is behind him is what has happened to him through his process. One of the fun okay. things they do in the, the movie, right, is because Styles has that great moment, too, right after seeing him where he seemingly just she's like, hey, let's make out. And he's like, nah, like, that's the other weird thing is no one oh, is trying to make out with her at all. Right. Yeah. Like Sam Neill rejects her and then Sutter Kane immediately, immediately rejects her advances. And that felt like, a, oh, because she's not part of their world, right? Part of the world. She- and I was like, oh, okay, I see what's going on. So I think it, it's weird because <laughs> they all have tells, I feel like, right? Where Sam Neill is so obstinate to the point of being infuriating. Where it's like, dude, you have seen too much shit yeah. to still be walking into the bar and being like, nice projectors and effects. You're good actors. You're good. It's like you just saw tentacle titties. Just waiting like, for like Scooby Doo pull up. Yeah, it's like he's so obstinate that he feels like an unrealistic character, right? Yeah. And Styles is desperately trying to find a connection, but when she comes back to the hotel, that's the one I like, which is uh, when she tells Sam Neil, you know, don't read it, don't look at it. I'm losing myself. Yeah. I thought that was cool because she's the one who has a real tether to the the world that we came from. Right. And she's losing it because she has now seen this this abyss. Yeah, there's so many like weird nuances to, to styles. Like you say, like just like starting off that she's the one who finds Hobbs end. And like that part bothered me. I don't know what quite to make out of that. But like also she gets extremely disturbed by a moving painting. But that would like, be little, disturbing to anyone. First off, no, no, no. Would no, that no. not but freak you the fuck out? Kid who says you're my mommy. And like, well, yeah, then you're just or, like, meet me on Mori or get out of my face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that off. He like blows off like the the gooey door. Like everything else that is horrifying, she just kind of like rolls with the punches with it. Uh, and then uh, when she like finally like gets transformed and taken over, she's like completely something completely different than the rest of the town. The rest of the town come becomes these like deformed, monstrous characters, and she's just more of this like contortionist. And like you see her like on the back of the bike, just kind of like easy flow, go with yeah. it. That one, like, that one was creepy. That one haunted me a lot when I saw it the first time. Yeah, the crab walk styles. Yes, I I wrote I wrote in big letters crab walk because it is just it is just the thing to, to send a horror movie over the edge. It's like when in doubt, third act, put a crab walk in. It's been dragging. <laughs> no one should be that <laughs> flexible. <laughs> oh my god! He came out of that car and I was like, oh gross. Somebody is like they actually hired a contortionist. I know to do people that. are. That was a real person. Yes, I know, Cloud. People's bodies are capable of amazing things. Not mine, but I know there are people out there that can do things. <laughs> but no, I yeah. When 
when they're performing on America's Got Talent, that's fine. When they're trying to drag yeah, right? me into the gates of hell, that's not what I'm trying to <laughs> Yeah. Maybe you don't need the facade of the lady in the white dress when you're now the gatekeeper, right? The key master to hell. <laughs> <or whatever. laughs> uh, and by the way, the, the, the person riding the bike I wrote down, it was uh, Carol Kane from uh, The Princess Bride. Uh, the Humperdinck lady. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for my horror movie fans that are listening, there's this old horror movie called Curtains that has a creepy, like, wrinkly-faced ginger mask killer. That's what that guy looks like on the bike. So that's a deep cut for horror movie fans. Curtains. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> Curtains. Like. All right. But, yeah, so I, I think Hobbs End is interesting, too, because – it is weird because we see Sam Neill escape on his own, but come in with Styles. Styles feels like she drives the whole narrative in Hobbs End, right? Like even when Sam Neill is now driving and knocking Styles out with punches to the face, it still feels like her actions are what dictates what is happening to us. But yet she still has a moment of mercy on him in that room. It feels like. But I guess it's not mercy because Sutter Kane tells him to leave. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Styles was still... really like the X factor to me this time. You're right, though. Like, yeah, she definitely does feel like the one that is completely out of place. Like, I'm just like so many levels there. Yeah. But uh, going back. Well, also, you're like, like Sam Neill. Once you've done the time loop four times, don't get in a car crash. Run over Styles. It's OK yeah, to run her over. You. Like, for the love of God, smash her with your car. That one, I was just like, oh, Jesus. Now I need an imaginary cigarette and a match. I was so annoyed by that. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a lot of moments where I was like, where where, um, they were fuck this moments where you, you, you are in it and you're like, well, you know, fuck this. Like, when, when, she's, when she's driving on clouds, I figured you turn around because you're like, I don't want to. I don't want to drive on clouds anymore. And then like, <laughs> you know, cause when, so, I, but there was, um, well, that's the question. Is I, the car even just, driving, bro? <laughs> probably not. But, <laughs> it, I, but there was a, uh, Mike brought up earlier in the conversation that there was that, um, or no, uh, Griff, you called it the police, police brutality alley. Mm-hmm. Um, like first off, he needs to get, find a new route home because like, if you keep walking <laughs> by the police brutality alley, like, just, like get an escort or somebody to walk you back, but like there, like he walked to that place like five different times, yeah. and I know that he was in his own brain, but Jesus Christ, that 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 was, and then at the I'm very a end white of the man movie, in a blazer. The cops pose no threat to me. <laughs> if that didn't show white privilege, I don't know what. Does. Yeah, no, I wrote that too. I was like, white privilege alley. Like, no, officer, go about your night sticking. Have a great time. <laughs> Just some fucking guy getting his ass beat. Man, yeah, I, so um, that that yeah. was strange too, because that that scene I really thought was cool when he's like reading the Sutter Kane books. He wakes up from Police Alley, and I was like, "Oh man, that book is scary." And then the cop is on his couch, so they're telling us right, right away that's like one of those dream in a dream that's set in reality that. I think everything this movie has the most unreliable narrator of any movie I've watched right. recently, right? We yeah. really can't trust anything we see in this entire film. Well, Carpenter Carpenter goes on record about this film because they had asked him about the dream in a dream, and he just loves that narrative. He gets he gets such a kick out of being able to do it a dream in a dream, yeah. just because he's like he he loves to double fake a lot of his audiences. So, uh, I when when that happened, I mean, I. It, did that did that happen multiple times in this movie, or did it happen just the one time they in the bus? Or they... Yeah, the bus. That's right. Yeah, the bus, the bus was a dream which is one of my dream. favorite scenes in this movie. Like that was like throughout this movie. One thing actually I really appreciate about this movie is like the subtlety of like all the horror. Nothing is like over the top or dramatic or graphic. Uh, or time out. There's definitely some over the top. We have tentacle titties. No. That's over the top, dude. When she cuts two holes in her little house on the prairie dress so her 10-foot-long tentacle tits can get out and then hits her husband (laughs) with an axe, the last word you can use to describe that scene is subtle. (laughs) (laughs) Just point of fact. Like like the creatures, like 
when you really sure. look at them, there's probably like a lot of like really cool little fine details in these yeah. creatures that are very intricate and they're all like in dark shadows and all hidden and you still yeah. can't see all of them. But like just like the, the driving on the clouds, the pulling into Hobbs End where it's like from night to day. Like that is just unsettling, like in yeah. that scene and of itself, like just that transition. Well, just but, uh, small town America where he's like fucking antique shops. <laughs> and the next thing we see is a gang of children with cold sores that are like, oh, we're eating that dog. Yeah. And you're like, that's not right. Like, I don't like this town at all. <laughs> like, that's just how that's but, like the most opposite Andy Griffith whistling through town you could get. It's like, we're eating this fucking dog. It's probably now. the point. Like, like, like that, the Hobbs End is like the antithesis to Mayberry. Yeah, right. <laughs> what if Mayberry was written by Clyde Barker? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but, but getting back to the subtlety, like the, that bus scene is one of my favorites. Just turning everything blue and making yeah. just that so disturbing and unsettling. And then Sam Neill's scream in that scene. I love that. Well, because that, he just that, that out. gets to the scary part of what if you truly are the only one that knows the truth And that the bus scene I thought was great too. Cause that has another one of my favorite lines in the movie where uh, he's looking at Sutter K and he's like, I'm not going anywhere. And he's yeah. like, uh, and, and he just, Sam Neill is just like, God's not supposed to be a hack whore writer. And I was like, damn, I don't know. I went to Sunday school for my whole life. Like, I feel like that's exactly <laughs> what God is. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like 2020 is not written by a hack whore writer. That's like my favorite meme on the internet. Like, why even write the murder hornets in if they're not going to have a bigger part of the narrative? <laughs> right? Like, God is a whore hack writer, right? And that that was a great way to look at Sutter Kane in that that moment. Well, it's also, I kind of feel like that's kind of a, uh, a kind of a knock on John Carpenter on himself because he's essentially the God in this story and God's not a hack whore writer. Um, but well, he definitely is taking shots at all of the people that are making these myths, right? Whether it's him or Stephen King or Clyde Barker, whoever. Yeah. But I don't think he's saying, I think it's more our fault, right? Like he's saying it's more our fault than anything. Cause Sam Neill was out. He didn't read shitty Sutter Kane books, right? right. He just smoked cigarettes and, and busted. So, like once he went so into like the gutter in for it. his entertainment, then he was in trouble. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, the interesting thing after that scene, though, uh, and remembering that and paying attention, all the characters, once they kind of become possessed by uh, the Sutter King novels, um, or there's just like, or any like the monstrosities, uh, their eyes, when they're on close up, even Sam Neill turned blue. Mm -hmm. It's his favorite color. Yeah, uh, it's his favorite color. Sutter King did say that in the movie, didn't he? And they get like they the, dumb, the double retinas. Yeah, but that's. One thing that I was fascinated by was him. I like the way they kind of get the cold sore rotting look like something's ready to rip from within them. Yep. There, there's a really cool bookend in the movie I like, which is the agent coming for Sam Neill, right? Because when I was watching that, it, it never struck me until this time. Is I was like, this guy's just in a building across the street, right? They choose that diner there to say, hey, we're going to go investigate the disappearance of Sutter Kane. That guy is coming for him straight up from the time he's coming through the door all the way across. It's one of my favorite horror movie moments. Yeah. It's just maniac with a mask disrupting society because he's coming to kill this one guy we're watching have lunch. And you're like, really that is not what is great really about horror movies. Movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, movie scene. I liked it. yeah, it's so yeah. great, right? And right. one There's of the reasons why is, but then I was watching it today and I was like, wait a sec. So he's already read the book. He oh. knows that Trent is a character written in this story and that Trent is the messenger he has to kill, which is weird. Cause he only had the first couple chapters where Trent maybe wouldn't have already seen that, but maybe Sutter had like told him or something. Right. But that, that struck me as so strange too, is that cause that lets you know, he didn't just see Sam Neill or me. Like if he was working at the book office and he's like, Oh, your name's Trent X. <laughs> right. Like this was a long premeditated walk. So some yeah. extra force is walking him to Trent and presumably had set him up to get murdered immediately. Sure. You know what I mean? That that really never dawned on me until this viewing that Sutter Kane is already puppet mastering way earlier than we think. 
<laughs> I did wonder too. I'll, I'll get your guys' opinion on this. The the epidemic of violence we hear at the start. Do you think that Mouth of Madness is already out by the time that we are seeing Sam Neill walk through the world? No. Uh, well, that's based on everything we've already talked about. That's a very complex question. But assuming <laughs> that this is not all going on in Sam Neill's mind, no, I think like each story is kind of a progressive add-on from the past. Like each book kind of drives because you can't just like throw the Mouth of Madness at people. And then all of a sudden they're just going to go insane. They, you got to chip away, just like with Sam Neill in this movie, you have to chip away at those shields, those barriers people have. You have to slowly deconstruct their sand and build them up. So I think that's what each of the books do up until the last point. That's just the final match of the powder keg, essentially. So no, I think it's just due to a progr the progression of each book. Because they even talk about it. They said like each book, people react the worst. And this very last one will drive everybody insane. Uh, when really it is the final thing to open that gateway to that other dimension where these right. horrible beings come from. Right, which come from within us, yeah. That was probably yeah. one of the more cathartic scenes, too, was seeing Sam Neill finally embrace. <laughs> that one really got me today, which is where he sees the young kid who comes out like already thumbing through the book, his eyes bleeding, blue and double yeah. retina, and he's like, did you like the book? He's like, I love it. And he's like, well, this won't surprise you then. <laughs> Fucking hits him right in the face with an axe. But it's it's weird. I feel like that kid was happy in that moment. Right. Right. So like, part of the story. Kevin, walk me through this last little bit of Trent before we go insane asylum. Like I I just found all those moments really really hit me just right this viewing. Watching um, this man kind of walk through the world he thought he knew so well. Yeah. It, I mean, I think it ramped pretty quick, though, to him just axe murdering a kid. But <laughs> um, w one of the things that was probably incredibly difficult for him to navigate was when he had found out the time in which had passed. Yes. Like that, that oh shit moment when he's with the. Uh, the guy from Planet of the Apes. Charlton um, Heston, yeah. No, I know, I know. It's <laughs> um, that guy yeah, who talks. Just trying not to give him too much credit. Yeah, <laughs> but he's... <laughs> Ooh, good, such a cane. Um, but, like, I think that one of the things that I thought was crazy about that moment was that that's the first time the audience is finding out that it's happened, the wheels have already fallen off, the world mm -hmm. is already absorbed into Mouth of Madness, right? That's and so, why I thought maybe the book had been out the whole movie already. But here, here's my thing: is that like, what was the, what was he hoping the end result was going to be when he axe murdered the kid? Because he already knows the world has gone to, to hell. That's so true. is it him? Is it because I feel like he's actually still sane in that moment? But is he trying to become this, you know, vigilante action man that's trying to right the wrong of of opening the mouth of madness? Like what, how? What, what am I, I thought? Supposed to that's right, because I, I don't think he's a vigilante because there's way better weaponry. You have a whole yeah. line of people at that bookstore. You should take them all out with like a rocket launcher, right? The way I looked at it was this is him trying to prove, because as he keeps seeing his face as a cartoon on that book cover, this is him trying to do something that Sutter Kane didn't write him to do. Interesting. Right, but is it when he hits that kid with an ax and kills a Sutter Kane reader and follower... That's not what Trent was written to do. The question becomes, does he do anything that he's not written to do at that point? Right. Like, <laughs> oh, that's cool. But, I didn't think about that one. No, what did you think about that moment, Cloud? Him, like, trying to, like, and he's he's still the hero of his own story and the only sane one in an insane world. He sees, so he gets infected by reading that book. So he's like, oh, got to take you out, even though it's utterly pointless considering, yeah. you know, the, the mass distribution of it that, and he looks exactly like the agent in that moment, which I liked a lot. It, but what I, uh, what, one thing we hit on, like you mentioned, like he uses the axe. Like that's another thing I've tried to pick apart in this movie is the repeated use of the same axe, the same axe that the the agent uses, that the old lady uses, that the 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 mob in the street uh, at the end of the movie they have the axe. The one like mutant that runs up to Sam and goes "fuck you" and then just runs off for no reason. <laughs> With his mutated, <laughs> fuck you! 
the, it was like that one chameleon the I, take out the dream when they, yeah. when they take out the, the the dream agent like they all whack him up with an axe like that same axe keeps appearing over and over and over i don't know what to make of that like it was i was actually gonna to see me, what your guys thoughts because on it's a fireman's axe to me right that is okay. the that is the equivalent of a character helping chop down the door that is holding back the darkness okay to me that's that's, that's what i see is that axe right is because he says that's how it gets its power and spread is every new person who believes in it or something like that that's what's going on right so i think that's why the axe that or you know hitting something in the face and letting out the content of the brain as it were something like that I don't know. It was cool. Uh, a, a, a tool of release of some of some sort. Yeah. Well, because it struck me too, right? Because the, a lot of this is ripping and destroying of heads, because that's what Sutter does too. He pulls his own face apart to, you know, use the book cage portal right into the obsidian black. And so, yeah, I think that I think the axe is part of that, right? Helping weakening the door between dimensions. Yeah. And you know, again, that's that's something in the movie. I don't know that I believe it's the old ones, or I believe it's just us. It's just. I was telling you guys before we started, this movie has this thing that I don't agree with at all, that maybe what we are ingesting all the time in our entertainment is corrupting and sickening and weakening us. And that maybe this is just the inevitable point of society is that we're all just going to fucking axe each other eventually. Right? Well, uh, <laughs> so you say like the, the old ones, you know, or is it us? Or it could be one and the same because like they right. say, is the religion has power because people believe in it. So the yeah. old ones would only have power based on our own actions. And when we become terrible enough, then we make right. the real ones real and then start this vicious cycle of them infecting us right. again uh, and just becoming terrible people. And these books yeah. are just conduits that release all of our inner demons slowly yeah. and destroy society by just magnifying our own terrible uh, characteristics as a human race. Well, that's why the humans that wrote the Bible and invented the story of every religion have to create devils to explain a why why we can't. They explain away why we can't be good people. Like, oh, why do I have to fuck my neighbor lady again? My wife's pissed. The devil. Sorry, dude. That's not me. That's the devil. I didn't want to do Sharon again, but <laughs> you know that's why we invent devils to go. Because I've always thought that I'm like, if God is real and all powerful, right? There, the devil has no power to make us do evil. God did that shit to us. The devil's just the fucking guy. He's like the middle manager who gets yelled at by the lady with really short hair at Walmart. Right? God's, a, God's the one doing all this, making corporate policy. First off, yeah, I thought that was cool. Uh, Kevin, as we get out of here, right? I think the ending of this movie is also Sam Neill in the room with the crosses or Sam Neill sitting in the movie theater. Those are the two most iconic moments. So we see Sam Neill in the asylum. He's got the investigator shook. Immediately, the whole place is ransacked, covered in blood, and he gets out and starts taking a stroll through this wasteland of a world, right? It's only getting worse. Don't trust your friends. Don't trust your neighbors. He walks into the movie theater, watches what we've seen, and laughs until he seemingly is overtaken with pain and about to cry, and we cut to black. What did you make of this? the last moments of this film? Uh, interestingly enough, did you notice on the your poster, name Kevin Cloud? Is your name Kevin? I didn't, hear Ke I didn't hear Kevin. Sorry, I didn't hear you. I just thought it was a. You are what Kevin. I write you to be, Cloud. Go ahead, Kevin. <laughs> I asked Kevin. I will not uh, be controlled. Ke uh, Cloud, I, I, you would I'll, be the one I would write for for sure. All right, Kevin, what did you make of the last moments of this movie? I'll be honest, my my response isn't going to be nearly as good as Cloud's. Um, <laughs> I. I I get I get the sense at the very end of the movie it's just uh, him knowing he what he's the last guy on earth or he's probably the the, the last person that uh, on earth to know that he's probably dealing with could I have uh, could I have solved this uh, could I have stopped it from happening if I had never gone to that town would we be in this predicament right because the world would have never known what this what this book ended up being so. Um, I think it was a multitude of different things at the end there. Um, or he just felt like his acting in the movie was so terrible that he couldn't get over it. But I thought he was critically embraced himself as the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's like two <laughs> thumbs down on my old self. <laughs> Very critical. He's like, can't believe they used the lighting. 
um, <laughs> you know, they, they shot me in the wrong in the wrong ratio. Yeah. I can't <laughs> believe they showed me punching Styles all those times. Jesus. <laughs> wow, what did you make of the finale? Why? This well, is the question I ask. You get out. I get that. Everyone's dead. Okay. You're walking around. Why doesn't he just walk to the cigarette store and, like, yeah, go take in a sunset? Good. Why stop in the theater? Uh, well, I think it just, for one, it just drives the story forward. But interestingly, does also. Does it, though? Him you, walking into the theater the and just rewatching what we've seen, does that drive the f- story forward at all? It, it wraps it up, I think, for what it's supposed to do. Well, okay, but, what do you think it's supposed to do? I'd be interested. Well, so in that gets it, but before I even get to that, uh, one thing that actually might have drawn him in to that theater is if you look at the poster in the movie theater, it actually lists the character names in the credits. It doesn't say Sam Neill, it says Trent whatever in yeah. Styles. And, right. Like, it has the character names. So, yeah, I would probably be drawn in to see that uh, as well if my... if there's a movie poster that has my face on it. It says Michael Cloud. I'm like, well, I kind of got to go see that. Yeah. Who did they uh, cast as me? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but I think it, like just that ending is, has a lot of different potential and uh, potential explanations and levels to it. For one, I think it's Samuel finally accepting and just having that terrible realization that he is not in control. At all. And there's, I mean, there's something that's inherently terrifying to know that nothing you do matters in the grand scheme yeah. of things. And things are just going to happen the way they are. And you are pow- utterly powerless. Uh, yeah. And I think even in today's world, we see a lot of backlash from that, from people that are trying to fight that realization. Yeah. Um, it's a movie called but, The Human Experience, dudes. Welcome to it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but also, it also, I think, wraps up where the beginning, where the, the book or you have that book scene where it's basically pulling the audience into the story. This is letting the audience know that Sam Neill is one of you, or you are in that movie theater with him watching that movie. Like this movie has now infected the audience. I kind of looked at it as that, that felt a little bit like John Carpenter turning the camera on us in saying, you know, this is a story about a man who lost everything, saw beyond, uh, and the entire world is over. Within a brief period, will be nothing but fucking stories, right? That are laughed at by the children of these fucking fish, Dagons, whatever, that are coming through. <laughs> and uh, in that moment, I thought he was pointing at us. And he's like, this is what you guys came to see, man. You guys came to see a story that laughs at the fact that we're all going to axe murder each other and be over. So it's asking us to take, because that's one of the things I always laugh about with horror fans. Right, because Wes Craven kind of did that with Scream, and this is kind of John Carpenter's Scream, I would say, like his take on like what he had been doing for a long time. Uh, he didn't do as many horror movies as Wes sure. Craven, I feel like, but still, I I think there is a part of that is why in a world that is so hard and so brutal, right? Because if you just take away even Hobbs End, right, and take away the tentacles, those axe murders happen every day, like getting shot by cops, getting beaten in an alley, all that shit, right? Why, when a, the world is so bad, do we run to these kinds of stories, right? About places that are even worse. Like last night, I was watching on Netflix, um, Juwan Origins, right? Not wildly great, but like I've always loved the Grudge and Juwan series, right? It's like the thing I can't quit. I'm in like a bad, abusive relationship with it. And I was just like, there's just a scene where a guy kills his pregnant girlfriend. But the baby's still, and he's like, I can cut her out and save her. And I was like, why am I watching this? Like, what kind of person am I that I'm like, this is, I better let loose after a hard day at work and watch this. But I do. My wife asks me that all the time. What is wrong with you in watching this? And I don't have a great explanation. Yeah, because Amy's always like, "Uh, I really want you to watch Clueless for the first time with me. And I'm like, great. And then the time comes and I'm like, or... (laughs) <laughs> there's this movie where the dad's a preacher and he eats his daughter's left arm and you know she's like fuck and it i don't know what i think it is is that in horror movies things make sense to me right it makes sense to me that there's something evil or bad and we're trying to survive that and hopefully if we do and defeat it things go back to normal and i think what i like about mouth of madness is it says oh no 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 like all you can do is sit and laugh this is all just you know, beyond our control and the, the evils here. And I think it's, 
it's actually like a pretty pessimistic ending compared even to, you know, some of the darker horror movies I've ever seen. There's no slasher to shoot. There's no demon to exercise. Uh, they don't even need to set you up for a sequel because they're like, every day of your life's going to be the fucking sequel. Wait till 2020, bitch. I think that kind of like Sam Neill just laughing until he can't laugh anymore and has to cry might be the yeah. best visual representation of why I watch horror movies I've ever seen. <laughs> and it, it also, like, it kind of, I think John Carpenter has his own criticism of that cathartic behavior mm-hmm. because, yeah, these people are using his books as an escape mechanism, but they're actually making the problem worse. Like, they're running away from a problem into another problem that's making their own inner problems way worse. And are we, as horror movie fans, doing that same thing? without even realizing that we are fundamentally altering our own ideas and perceptions. Fuck, man. That sounds very Christopher Nolan, the way you just spun that. <laughs> That's crazy. But that, all right. I, I, prefer, I prefer the Stephen King uh, explanation of we all have alligators uh, under, the, under the bridge, and we watch horror movies to feed them and keep them at bay. So the people <laughs> that watch horror movies are actually the most psychological sounds because We're our cool. alligators are well-fed in fantasy. That means Kevin's the one we got to watch out. Yeah, it's always Kevin, the quiet, really nice one. Killer. Yeah, the guy who's always a little too good compared to everyone else. Kevin's definitely the serial killer. You heard it here first. <laughs> when they do the eight-part Netflix documentary on why Kevin went the way he went. <laughs> you heard it here first. They'll pull up all this footage and be like, Mike Cloud and Josh Griffey, close friends of Kevin Wyman. They fucking they knew it was coming. Have and nothing. Like, a, like an unmarked grave. <laughs> For sure. Uh, Kevin. Did, at the end of this movie, did you find yourself really enjoying it? Where did you end on this movie? Entertained. Uh, I, I was entertained. Uh, has uh, I, I, Mike, I'm sorry about this, has zero replay value for me. I'm never going to watch this movie again. Um, everybody. I th- but I think that there's certain scenes where if I'm flipping through, like if I'm like, oh, we're, we're, we're about to get to like the, the – the mon- the monsters at the end of the hall like I'll, I'll tune in for the five minutes right like the ending i think that that's a great 10 minute sequence like so i i think bits and pieces but i'm a naturally optimistic person which is usually how serial killers start <laughs> yeah, um, right. and, it will work and, out and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and this movies like this probably open up the demons that you guys don't want to see down the road but, uh, i I, I was entertained and I appreciate the fact that we brought it up and we, this uh, guys, this is the first movie that we ever did that I had not watched. Well, no, I'm sorry. I, I never saw days of thunder, but everything else I've, I've you had I've, never seen days of thunder. I had only seen bits and pieces. This is legit. The better I've, never Top seen, Gun? No. <laughs> I've never seen a scene of this movie. So I would, I would recommend everybody tune in. Uh, if you like John Carpenter, it's right up your alley. Yeah. Um, you get monsters, you get all that fun stuff, but don't expect to have things like written out for you, written out for you in crayon. Huh? Yeah. Uh, all of this stuff is, there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of, uh, you, you got to dive in a little bit, yeah. um, to understand. I mean, even the name of the hotel is, um, uh, it's a Lovecraft, uh, yeah. book. Um, what's the name of the oh, hotel? I totally Pikmin. Pikmin. Yeah. References. I mean, even in the movie, the, the title is a reference to the Mountains of Madness. Mountains of Madness, yeah. And, and so uh, uh, to wrap up my, my saying about this, I think a lot of people get joy out of these movies because they love to catch the small stuff on the rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your point, it, it is a, a kind of a fuck you to the, a general audience. It's, it's uh, you know, you're dealing with the fact that the ending's not going to be all that uh inspiring for everybody else but um no i enjoyed it yeah man yeah cloud i gotta let you go i know you'll read sutter kane when this is over (laughs) (laughs) if i could find sutter kane how old will harrison be when you make him watch this movie (laughs) five six you know this isn't actually a movie i think it's like that bad for kids like i didn't even Uh, realize that those were I didn't let me put it this way the moment the guy started walking across the street with the axe i was like hunter get out of here I kicked him out of the room. Nothing is like overly graphic. Uh, like Tentacle I didn't realize tits. You keep forgetting. Your kid does not. Your son lactate and breastfeeds still. He doesn't lactate. He drinks lactation. Harrison doesn't want to see tentacle tits. That will scar him forever. I, 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 I didn't even know that that's what, that's what those were until you pointed it out. And all the times I've seen How this, did you I miss just, that? How did you miss that? <laughs> all these years that never clicked. 
I just thought they were chest tentacles. Like, I did not think of them as breasts. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's what I love about you, Cloud. That's what but, I love about you. But, uh, no, like, this movie, like, the one thing, you know, love it or hate it, the one thing you would say is, I can't think of anything else like this, like this movie, like, in, like, visually or, like, the story yeah, uh, that comes close. So it's, you're definitely going to watch something that is incredibly unique, whether you like it or hate it. Yes, you're not. You're, you haven't seen anything like this since before it was made or after. Yeah, I feel like it's becoming a little more in vogue now, right? Like more kind of big imagery, playing with the audience, stuff like that is kind of where horror is working towards now. But um, yeah, man, and this this it was just like, nice that John like, Carpenter like, made one of his best movies to me in the '90s. Uh, it was a rough '90s at times. This was his last movie he made where I was like, everything John Carpenter was great at works in this movie. Yes. Yeah. I feel and like this was his last really great movie. And, you know, I'm, I, I, I always, because to Kevin's point, I like the every time I watch it, like, let's see what I can make out of it this time. Right? Like, yeah. I like to try to look at every scene differently and twist it, turn it, try to see where my head goes. I think that's where a lot of the joy is. All right, guys, yeah. that's it for in the mouth of madness uh thank you guys very much for joining me today i knew cloud that you would have to get on this one <laughs> i appreciate you, you having me uh I, I was super excited and had a great time for sure guys all right so we got more john carpenter goodness to come again please take a second leave a rating and review email the show filmalchemistpod at gmail.com Subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Nerd Alchemist, plural, with an S at the end. And shout us out. Reach out to us on all your socials. We're there. Uh, Mike and Kevin, we'll try to get them back before. Uh, as you guys know, every October, we do a lot of horror movies. This year, we're doing one every single day of October. So we got our uh, plates full. But the next time you hear from these guys, we're coming in with something heavy. We'll work something out for you guys. Oh, hey. Sounds good. One uh, tiny tip. Uh, the um, or interesting little facts in this movie. The paperboy, Kevin, did you recognize him? Hayden Christensen. Yeah, Hayden Christensen's a paperboy for like two seconds in this movie. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> so right, well, should have wrote a better depth of acting. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited for the next go around, Griffey. Thanks for inviting me to this one, man. Yeah, guys, always a pleasure to have you. Uh, thanks again. Uh, for the film alchemist, Josh Griffey, Mike Cloud, and Kevin Weinman. Uh, we'll see you in a Sutter Cade novel, I guess. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>